My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you here on the last Sunday of 2015. Uh, seeing that that is the case, I'm going to prep 2016 with a message today that allows us the privilege of approaching the new year with hope. And I'm grateful for 2015. It was, a, it was a really good year for me. Grateful that God added you to us. Grateful for this beautiful building. Grateful for my family who's all doing well and in good health. Grateful for my Jesus who continues to persevere with my character flaws. And helps me become what I didn't know I should or needed to be. I'm grateful. It doesn't mean that 2015 all went well, but I had God to go through it with, and so I'm very grateful. Turn with me. Turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. We're going to look at chapter 5. The title of this message today is A Different Approach. A Different Approach. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is speaking. We're going to look at verses 14 through 17. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. In writing to the church at Corinth, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Verse 16, Therefore... From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we now know him in this way no longer. Therefore, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Lord, help us as we study. Three things, how to love differently, see differently, and know differently. Love differently, see differently, and know differently. I don't, I'm not much for New Year's resolutions. It's not that I don't think that significant change needs to happen in somebody's life by beginning something afresh. I just haven't been able to figure out what's different from July 17th from January 1st. I, I just haven't been able to figure that out. Because every day to, to me is a new day of possibility to be great. To be great. Not that I've attained it, but the possibility exists. And I feel no more anointing on January 1st than I do on July 17th. It's all the same to me. Now, the demarcations of time allow us the privilege of literally turning the calendar and saying, okay, this is a moment when I can start fresh. But that's what every 24 is supposed to be, a day whereby you can set aside the last and begin anew. And all that Paul is talking about here is looking at life from a different perspective, a new perspective, and you don't have to wait until January 1st to make that happen. It can happen whenever you choose, choose to engage your faith. 
Paul is concerned about the church at, at Corinth. He birthed this congregation. And he's lost some influence there, not for, for any fault of his own. But he's lost influence because the church at Corinth has decided we like much more gifted preachers. People who are more articulate, more eloquent. And Paul, by his own admission, says, I'm not the greatest speaker. Hey. But do you need a really good speaker or a dad? Tell me. Tell me. I mean, you can get a great speaker any place. MP3 files, podcasts. You can get a great speaker any place. But how many daddies can you have? And Paul said, I'm the one who fathered you. If it, now, he doesn't say it like I'm about to say it, but he doesn't say it like I'm about to say it because he says, love constrains me. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever wanted to say stuff? <laughs> you just wanted, you wanted to, but you didn't because... Love controlled your tongue. So he doesn't, he doesn't say it like I'm saying it. But he's, he, he kind of goes around through the house, through the back door, and around, hoping that the church of Corinth would get it. I birthed you! You would not be had I not come. I was there with you for a year and a half, and now you're going to throw me off like I'm an old dish rag? What's wrong with you? That's how he wanted to say it. But he took three or four chapters. Three or four chapters to help the church of Corinth understand how much he loved them and what they were depriving themselves of if they didn't receive him. He was trying to get back into their life because he cared the church at Corinth did not define him. He didn't need them in order for him to feel more significant. They needed him. And as a daddy who looks at his kids, and his kids then think, I'm grown. I'm grown. <laughs> Love begins to control the mouth. Paul says the love of Christ controls me. It controls me. What controls you? Your passion? Your unbridled spirit? Your soul that is so, so damaged and bitter? What controls you? Something does. Something makes you the way you are. Something inspires you to say... Say what you say the way you say it. What is it that controls you? Paul said the love of Christ controls me. Concluding this, that he died for all, therefore all died. And since all died, we, we shouldn't live for ourselves, but for him who died to raise us. And it's not just the love of Christ that is found on the inside of us that controls us. He's saying, the love that Christ exhibited controls me. When I see the attitude he had toward us, though we didn't treat him well, 
And Paul was a contemporary of Jesus. We don't see him in the Gospels, but he was only three years, we think, younger than Christ and was one of the leading and upcoming Pharisees in Jerusalem. And so when he says later on in this passage, we used to know Christ according to the flesh, though we regard him that way no longer, he saw him. He recognized who Jesus was in the flesh. And this is a man who rejected him, was along with the Pharisees and said, this man must die. He understands what it means now because four or five years later, he sees Jesus differently on the road to Damascus. Oh, so differently. So differently did he see Jesus that he said, who are you? All Jesus said to introduce himself to, to Paul after he was knocked to the ground, why are you persecuting me? Question, why are you? He did, Jesus didn't say hello. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't a salutation of let's get to know one another. Jesus had one question, why are you doing this to me? And Paul didn't know who it was. Saul did not know who it was. And he said, who, who are you that I'm persecuting? He didn't recognize him, though he had seen him before. I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. It's not in the text, but one of these is in Paul's brain. I never saw you like that before. Oh my. Oh my, I've messed up. I have really, really messed up. I had no idea. I had no idea. And you want to do your best to try to get in the position where you can have an idea before you mess up so much because you didn't have an idea. And your idea allows you the privilege of not messing up because you didn't have an idea. You want to get there where you never need to recover. Recovery is hard. It's hard. And you know when you, when you, when you start to recover, you're going to have to do the things, the exact things that you needed to do that would have prevented you from recovering. Prevented you from having the need to recover. Meaning, what, what you're going to do after you blow it and then now need to get restored is read your Bible and pray and obey. That's what you're going to do if you want to be restored or if you want to stay in the position of being damaged, which is, which is much, a much worse off option, then you won't do that. But if you have a desire to be restored, that's what, so if you're going to do it to, to recover, why don't you do it so you'll not have a need to recover? You're going to have to do it one way or the other. It's going to cost you a whole lot more in the back end though. Paul saw him differently. And he says, that love that God had for me, though I was a violent aggressor, the foremost of sinners, he calls himself. It's amazing. And I realized how much he loved me and his mercy was shed abroad in my life. It controls my life. Every bit of it. I shouldn't be who I am. I shouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I don't know why in the world he decided to choose me except to show everybody else what mercy looks like. 
He's amazing to me. And so when I think about how much he loves me, I think about how much I need to love you, Church of Corinth. Do you know love is supernatural? To burst your bubble intentionally, and I'm not going to apologize for this, love has nothing to do with what Hollywood tells you it is. Or Harlequin novels. That's not love. Love, from God's, from God's perspective, is being able to make a decision to love somebody when they are unlovable. Now, I was hyperbolic when I, when I spoke about that's not love, meaning the affection that a man and a woman has for one another and the deep emotions that are felt. Those are part of love. But they are love in its purest form, which is agape, which is unconditional love. They are additions to the house of love, if you will. And the house of love can only best stand when the center of it and foundation is agape, Greek, for I love you just because. No good reason. I just love you. I love you because I decide to doesn't have much ooey gooey in it does it not much touchy feely in that it doesn't, it doesn't just make your soul go mm. nothing but it is securing because that statement means that you can't do anything to make my love go away if God loves you for no reason at all then you can't produce a reason that would make him stop loving you. And believe me, you're good at that. You're really, you're practiced at that. You are a professional at that. And because he's decided to love you, and he's not basing it on how nice you are, or how often you go to church, or how much you read your Bible, or how kind you are, or how much you pray. None of that. Because he's basing it just on his decision. His love will never leave you. He will never forsake you. It may not be touchy-feely. But it is foundationally securing. And this is the kind of love. That is supernatural in its orientation. And inspired Christ to come to a people that would not receive him and did not like him. Though he only did good, they only did bad to him. And he's still on the cross. When he had an opportunity to, to tell these people off and would have been right to do so, his statement about us his last statement about us is, God, I know you're mad at them because they're, killed. they're killing me. They treated me, your boy, really, really bad. I get it. I get it. But I've already dealt, and I'm, I'm, I'm paraphrasing the entire thing. I've already dealt with how they've treated me, and I've released them. But I know that you love me a lot, and you don't like to see me treated this way. So, Daddy, please forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. That was Jesus' last thought 
before he died on the cross about you. That's supernatural. Paul says that kind of love makes me shut my mouth when I want to say something. It makes me sit down when I want to stand up. It makes me hold back when I want to lunge because I know that God held back for me. And I deserve judgment. I deserved hell. I deserved consequences over and again. The gavel on the bench of the universe sounded guilty for me. And I didn't receive the penalty for my misdeeds. God, that love controls how I treat others now. And though Corinth, I'd like to tell you a thing or two, I'm going to take five chapters to do it. And I want you to know that by the end of it, you won't even know I have done it. You'll just fall in love with me again. That's all you'll do. The love of Christ. And he says it like this. He, he's building. It controls me because Christ died for all. Meaning what I just said, he came and gave his life for all of us. That's, that's, that's loving the unlovable. That's being committed to people who aren't committed to you. That's love. Anybody can love somebody who loves them. That's fun. Nobody said love was supposed to be fun. You aren't coming next week, are you? <laughs> that statement just sealed it for you right there. You're going to find another church. I get it. He died for us when we deserved much worse. And therefore, we all died. Now, he's making this connection real quick. There's a large gap between he died, die, him dying for us and we dying. Theologically. Not talking about in meaning, but in making the connection. But he doesn't have a whole lot of time to make all the connections to make those things work. Suffice it to say, and I'm going to help you today, that when Christ died, if you identify with his death, then you died with him. So he died for all, that meant you died, if you identify with him. And if you died, now you live with him because he rose from the dead, therefore you rise from the dead. Now you live with him, but you don't live, you don't live for yourself. That's what he says. In three short phrases, he is bringing the benefit of the cross down to your practical life. You don't live for yourself anymore. It is not about you. It is about everybody else around you. It is about making their life easier, not yours. It is about making them more happy, not you. It is about serving them and them not serving you. Everything about understanding what the cross is for you beyond just getting your ticket punched to glory is about living for people here for God's glory. It's not about you. It's not about me. God did not leave me on the planet just to buy time until I got to heaven. He left me here to be a benefit to you every day of my life. Listen to me, I don't have a bucket list. I'm not mad at anybody who does. I'm just giving you perspective. I'm happy if you got one. I pray God lets you fulfill the stuff that's his will on it. <laughs> but I don't have one. And it's not because I believe they're irreligious or unbiblical. It's just that I've done everything I want to do. 
I'm 55, and I don't have an itch to scratch. I am so fulfilled, I don't know what to do. I got the greatest kids on the planet. I got Eve's sister as a wife. I got you as a congregation. I don't have a $100,000 mortgage on a building. I got great friends that I've been with for 30 years that still like me. That's saying something. That says about their commitment to me and somehow a little bit about my skill level that increases so they still want to be around me rather than just tolerate me. And I could go on and on about God's provision for my life. I don't have a bucket list. My point is this. The only reason I still wake up is for you. That's it. That's the only reason I'm here is to win my city and to help you be what you're supposed to be. To let you fulfill your ministry. I fulfilled mine. If it were all about just Brett being happy about what Brett could do, that happened about five years ago. All I wanted to, to do is produce a church that can make mama happy. A couple of hundred people. So I could justify all of her education that she spent money on. My, my mom and dad justify and say, see, it was worth it. I can provide for myself now. That, that, I had no idea this or you would be here. And it's not that I, I didn't have dreams. I just didn't dream like this. As far as Brett goes, he's done. But I keep waking up. And I ain't mad about that, though heaven would be nice. Heaven would be nice now. That'd be nice. I'm not mad about that. I just realize that I am more motivated than ever to do what God put me on the planet to do that I have left to do. And that's for you. So I don't live for myself. Now, am I perfect at this? No, I I'm probably the worst example to try to point to, to talk about what it means not to live for yourself. I'm just talking about my practical life and how I have structured it. I live for everybody else. That's my practice. And I'm happy to do it. The love of Christ should control you in everything that you do so that other people benefit. Not only should we love differently, we need to See differently. Now, his loving differently allowed his eyes to be affected by his decision to love. He said, we, we don't view anybody according to the flesh anymore. Though we used to view Christ according to the flesh, though we do that no longer. When he says we don't view anybody according to the flesh, he's saying their carnal nature doesn't get in the way of what I should see. I'm not going to hold a person in the prison of their last offense because that will block my vision of what God wants to do in our relationship and in their life. I choose not to tie them to the chain of the last evil thing they did to me. That's not going to be how I view them. That's not going to be how I relate. I choose to release them from that, that I might see them the way God wants me to see them. Yes, now let me tell you what happened 
to humanity's eyes. Sin messes up your vision. It not only messes up your vision for your life, it messes up how you see others when they sin against you. Adam and Eve had, had it perfect Adam, in the garden. Just couldn't be any better. Serpent comes to them, tempts them. Eat from the tree, they eat. Verse 7, chapter 3 in Genesis says this. And when they ate, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they saw that they were naked. And they went and found fig leaves, sewed them together and tried to put them on. It says their eyes were affected by their sin. Some commentators say, actually, they were always clothed with something. It was probably the glory of God. And when they ate, the glory left, and now they saw. I don't know that that's true. The passage doesn't say that. But my experience helps me to understand a little bit of what they went through. A couple comes into my office. Been married seven years. Hypothetical couple. Why'd you talk about us faster? Why? <laughs> Been married seven years. Life is good. Wife blows it. Some guy's talking to her sweet at the office. All of a sudden she winds up in a compromise situation. Husband says, I'm through. Through. She's not the woman I married. I say, oh. Well, who, 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 who do, you, do you think you married? <laughs> you know you married a sinner. You married a sinner. That's who you married. L let me break it down in our terms. You married a criminal. <laughs> that never gets as many laughs as sinner. <laughs> Nobody wants to chuckle at that point. Somebody broke a law in the kingdom. When they break a law in Fairfax, we call them criminals. When they break a law in the kingdom, we call them sinners. But we understand a little bit more in terms of the, the gravity of the breaking when we call them criminals in the kingdom. You married a criminal. They're really good at sinning. They always have been. They just sinned against you now. They haven't changed. Same human being. But they, I know, but that's who they were. That's who they were. Now you just see it. Adam and Eve had their eyes messed up when sin happened. To where Adam now said, God, God came to him in the cool of the day, and he was coming to walk. He had his appointment with him, their devotional time. He wants to do that with you every day, by the way. He's looking for you every day. Where are you? Where are, every day, where are you? Where are you? He's looking for you. Don't play hide and seek with God. Come the cool of the day. And, and, and he's, at, where, where, um, uh, yeah, we, we hid ourselves, um, yeah. Why, did, did you eat from the tree of which I told you not to eat? Well, you know, it was that woman <laughs> that, that you gave me now. I mean, I was just sleeping. I was asleep. I was out. And I woke up, there she was. And had nothing to do with it. Oh, let me tell you though, 
when Adam saw her after he woke up. <laughs> top ten model gorgeous would be top one compared to Eve. She was perfect. And gentlemen, when you see perfect, yeah, you, you see, you don't want to say anything. That's good. Don't say nothing. No, but you're thinking in your mind, oh, my goodness. She was so gorgeous that Adam said, I'm going to change your name. You're going to get my last name. Woman, you're going to be my wife today. That's how gorgeous she was. No dating. Straight marriage. Straight to the altar. She was amazing. No conversation, just woman, wow! Now, after sin, I don't know you. <laughs> Giving her over to God in place of his judgment. Get her, not me. All of a sudden, his eyes changed. He saw her differently. He didn't see her the same. And when people sin against you, who are your best friends, your spouse, your family, all of a sudden you don't see them the same way anymore. Now you see their carnal nature, things that you hadn't noticed before. It's been there for a while. You just hadn't noticed it. And you don't treat them the same because you view them in the prison of their last offense. You won't let them out. You won't let them out. And what you say to yourself is from now on, we're going to be at arm's distance. I let you in too much. I can't do this anymore. You build up walls and you say bye to people. Paul says, Church at Corinth, I could do that to you because you hurt me real bad. There's no group of people I gave my life for more than you. None. I sacrificed everything for your benefit. Now you're going to throw me off like an old used dish towel? I choose not to, not to see you like that. I choose to see you as my children, my beloved I choose to see you in a redemptive manner. Paul says, because the love of Christ controls me, I realize how God had to view me in order to get me right. He had to see something different than what I was. And I choose to use that same vision to see you. This is how relationships work in the kingdom. If not, it's join, break up, find somebody else. Join, break up, find somebody else. Join, break up, find somebody else. And nobody knows that you are his disciples because you don't love one another. That's why I said love supernatural. Doesn't have anything to do with feelings. Nothing with emotion. It's decision. Decision. We no longer view Christ that way or anybody else. And then he gets to the point that is the, the icing on the cake. Maybe the substance and the icing, I don't know. But he says, because we are new creations in Christ. That word new creation means something that has never existed before. Never existed. God does not just take the old you and refurbish it. He doesn't just make a, a 2.0 version of the 1.0 version. The 1.0 version died. When he died, 
You died. Died. Whatever comes up after that has nothing to do with him who died. Meaning you who died, not him who died. You. The new version is brand new and has never been before. Now, that doesn't mean you don't look the same. That doesn't mean that habit patterns are, are, aren't hard to break. It doesn't mean that you won't feel like the same old person you were. But it does mean this, that the seed of the new creation reality is down on the inside of you, and it begins to grow such that after a period of time, Kodak's... Kodak. Mm. Photographs. Taken day by day, don't do it justice. You have to get on the movie reel and watch. And after six months, somebody's been transformed. And now the evidence of it is seen in their life, their speech, their manner. New creation reality. It's taken me a while to get where I am. And I'm not near as far as I need to be. And part of it is because some folks started at the starting line. I started 50 yards behind the starting line. And so it's taken me a while just to get to normal. Just to get to the line where I can begin to start the race. So it's taken me a little bit longer to get to where I need to be and become what I need to become so I can do what I need to do. But by the grace of God, at least I am not what I was. And by His grace, I am accelerating the process of becoming what I ought to be. By getting in this Bible on a regular basis, staying in his presence, and submitting my soul for obedience, saying, I'm your boy, you tell me what to do, I'll do it. Not bucking his will every day of my life. Understanding what it means to pick up my cross daily and follow him. If I did it more consistently, I'd be better for you. New creation reality. You're not... That's how we have to view people. That's completely different. Well, Pastor, what do I do when somebody sins against me like what you talked about? And all of a sudden, you know, I forgive them, but I can't forget. I just, I, my mind just, and see, forgiveness doesn't have anything to do with forgetting. Listen to me. They are not tied. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to forget in order to forgive properly. Nothing. Now, can they work together for your benefit? Yes. Should they? Yes. But let me tell you how. Because you don't develop amnesia when you get right with God. You remember everything that was done wrong to you. You don't forget it. By the way, neither does God. I realize there's a passage that says he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. Yes. And I realize there are things he says, I'll remember your sins no more. Yes. What that means is this. He doesn't remember them like you do. He remembers them differently through the blood of his son. He can't forget what you did because his son's got nail prints in his hands. He can't forget. He just remembers it differently. That's how we deal with the past. That's how we deal with our memory. Lord, I thank you. See, see, forgiveness is just saying, I release you from the offense. It literally means, uh, in the Greek, Ephesus, to take a ship that was tied to the dock and release it. There's no emotion with that. You just take the rope from around the little pole and let it go. 
You just make a decision to say, I am no longer letting this be the thing that ties you and I. But then you've got to get healed in your soul. And that's where you have brothers and sisters around who can pray for you and help you. That's why you need the body to get healed. Healing is different than forgiveness. And then remembering, you say, I choose now to remember that thing that hurt me so bad. I choose to remember it. By the cross of Christ, which forgives you and me, so that we can be restored. So I don't remember it like that anymore, where every time I see you and I see you walk into church, I have to figure out where you're going to sit so I know where I can sit. <laughs> Only half of you are laughing. Because you're the, you're the half that everybody's trying to sit on the other side from. You don't know that you've offended somebody. The other half is saying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> new creation old things are passed away <laughs> your old life no longer defines your new your last sin doesn't begin to define your tomorrow your future whether you're going to be a success or not I was with some players the other day. It was fun last night, by the way. <laughs> With some players, and we were talking about this topic. You know, if, if, I, if I'm doing wrong, I feel like God's not going to bless my play. And I'm just going to, you know, have a bad game. I said, if that were the case, I don't think anybody would be a success in football. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually believe God uses as his standard operating procedure whether you went to the club on Friday night as to whether you're going to play well on Sunday? Do you think that? Well, he's not pleased. No, he's not happy. But there is, there is not a theological correlation that says every time you sin, you're going to be judged for it in your performance. That doesn't happen in the Bible. In fact, the psalmist thought it did. He said, I can't figure out why the w w wicked are prospering. That's what he said. How come I'm doing right and I got nothing? And they're doing all wrong and they got everything. I said, Look, <laughs> that's not God's standard operating procedure. Now, if he wants to, he can. So you better live right. But <laughs> that, that's not the way he normally works. So let your conscience be clear. Repent. Ask for forgiveness. Don't go back to that stinky well. And let's start living right. Past is gone. Past is gone. And the good thing is, he said, behold, new things have come. Now, we, he already, he's talked about three things here. New creation, that's new life, that's being. Our past, which the deeds which we have done in the past, gone, that's yesterday. And he's talking about things now. He said, new things have come. So God wants to apply the benefit that you have received personally in terms of salvation and relationship with him and being called a son and inheritance and all the things that come with being in the family. He wants to now apply that to all your stuff, things. Now, it doesn't mean that you will necessarily get new things. The word new means refresh. Now, he may give you new things. But what about that old job you got? That old, I don't want to go to work, don't like the people at my employment kind of job you got. The old, the supervisor doesn't appreciate me kind of job you got. 
You can push the refresh button on that thing and begin to approach it differently, thinking, Lord, this isn't just the job I don't want. It's the job you gave. I think I've preached too long. It's the job you gave. So I'm going to worship you with my employment today. I'm going to get up today and believe that you're going to push the refresh button on my, on my job so that I can appear in new things today. That my new creation reality can have an impact on my old job and that it can become new to me. I can serve my employer. I can serve my supervisor. I can serve my coworkers, people who don't like me, people that have difficult. I can do your marriage, your friendships. Everything you've got, all the stuff, the things that are in your life can become new if you apply a new creation reality to it. The redemptive benefit of the cross is not just for you personally. It's for you and your stuff. And you begin to look at your finances differently. Everything. It's not about just having things. It's about how those things now can benefit the kingdom and how God wants to use them to help you become what you need to be and help others become what they need to be. We need to love differently in 2016. We need, we need, we need to see differently in 2016. And we need to know differently. We need to know about this, this, the reality that God has produced in our life with new creation reality and our past is gone and he wants to bring new things to pass this ought to give you hope he's going to do some good stuff for you soon real soon real soon now today is December 27th you can have a four day head start four day head start you can get on this before the new year and be well engaged when when 2016 rolls around let's pray daddy I love you you're a good God help us as your people to live right and do right and to view things in the light of scripture in Jesus name